Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Up to Some Good. Today, I'm very excited to be speaking with Juliet Davenport, the founder and director of Good Energy. Juliet is a physicist by training and has a master's of atmospheric physics and dynamics from the University of Oxford. She is a pioneer in the UK's renewable energy sector, having launched her renewable energy company, Good Energy, in 1999. And at that time, Good Energy was the UK's first 100% renewable energy supplier. Over the past two decades, Good Energy has launched a variety of initiatives related to renewables. Apart from being a supplier of renewable energy, it has also launched a platform for small households who generate their own electricity via solar panels to sell energy on the marketplace. And most recently, they're also working on installing electric vehicle charging points around the country to encourage more people to transition to using electric vehicles. My conversation with Juliet is inspiring and incredible to say the least. Her passion to innovate in the renewable sector, as well as her commitment to building a greener, cleaner world in general, really comes through. For listeners who are unfamiliar with the concept of renewable energy, I highly recommend this podcast because Juliet really breaks down the topic and makes it so accessible, even to people like me who have a very limited understanding of renewable energy as well as the science behind it. During the podcast, we also talk about her highs and lows as Good Energy CEO, her experience building a mission-driven company culture, as well as exciting new trends in the renewable sector. Juliet actually also has her own podcast called The Great Green Questions, which is how I first found out about Juliet and her company, Good Energy. I'll be linking all of that in the show notes below. And now I'd like to introduce Juliet Davenport. Welcome, Juliet. Hi, Claudia. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining me on Up to Some Good today. So I actually want to explain a little bit about how I first found out about you, which is through your podcast. Juliet also has her own podcast called The Great Green Questions, which I seriously recommend, where she groups a lot of different guests with different opinions together and uh, talks about a very interesting topic. The one I listened to was is being vegan the only way to save the planet? And I just thought it was so engaging. Like it's, of course, deals with a very important topic, but at yeah. the same time, it's quite lighthearted and everybody just injects their own opinion opinion, and it becomes quite an informative, but also uh, a, a relatively accessible debate. And I love that format. Yeah, I think I think as there are so many questions in the environment that are quite difficult to get into. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people can be put off by either the technical side of the questions or the kind of evangelical side of the questions. And actually getting a group of people to hear them debate it allows more people, I think, into the conversation. And quite often, I find it really difficult to get a word in edgeways because they're so excited about what they're talking about. That's the best, though, when they're when they're passionate about what they're talking about. Mm, So before I get started asking you questions about good energy, can you tell me, I know it's, it's been a very long journey and you, you launched in 1999, but can you give me a, just a short summary of how you started? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess so. So my background is I'm not an environmentalist by sort of by birth. So I came into this, I actually, my father was a rallying co-driver and I spent a lot of time around race circuits as a kid. I studied atmospheric physics as part of my physics degree at university. And that was where I kind of, I guess I had my moment of sort of dawning about one, how uh, amazing our planet is and its atmosphere and how important it is for uh, the life on earth and that climate change is a significant 
potentially has a significant impact on the viability of our atmosphere. So from my point of view, that was where my journey started. It did meander quite a lot after Mm -hmm. that, but it ended up, I did some work at the European Commission. I then did some consultancy work across Europe on renewable technologies and the potential for them in, in Europe as a whole. And I ended up at a conference talking to somebody about consumers because Quite often when you look at policy or that you look at technologists and engineers, they talk about the tech. They don't talk about the users as much. Yes. And what I wanted to do was to think about, actually, could you get a user case going? Could you get a consumer-led approach to a zero carbon planet? And that was kind of where the conversation started with a German entrepreneur and investor. He invested in the idea. I set it up in the UK. I actually didn't start running it to begin with. So I wasn't the CEO to begin with. Right. I hired the CEO. And, and that was purely because I had no idea how to run an energy company. I spent my time trying to figure out how to get into the market and all those things. I then eventually did take over and started running it in about 2001, 2002. But my journey was quite complicated at that early stage. I think most early stage businesses and are not straightforward they don't go to plan (laughs) and everything Mm -hmm. changes I mean but you I guess you learn new things and when you overcome challenges you just sort of pivot and then you you know more and more what you need and what the market needs right yeah completely and Um, I think that those early lessons you learn they kind of stay with you. They also, they're also a great place if you want to help other people when they're coming mm-hmm. into the market. So I work with quite a lot of young entrepreneurs now is that you can give them advice about sort of not getting stuck on their original business plan and mm-hmm. sort of just being a bit blinkered. It, it's important to be really focused, but if something's not going to work, then then do something else. Yeah, you need to be able to pivot. Yeah. So when you first launched Good Energy in 1999, you basically had this big goal of wanting to clean up the British energy system, which is itself a very daunting task, especially during that time, there were a lot less people who are aware of climate change, or Mm. as active about it. So I was just wondering, like, what, with such a big goal, what was the first step you took towards achieving that or starting to achieve that? I guess there were, there were two or three things that we needed to do to be able to do that. So first of all, you needed a license. So to be able to sell electricity in the UK, it's a regulated market and you need a license to be able to sell. So we, we had some interesting conversations about that. The regulator at the time hadn't really thought about how to bring new, new entrants into this marketplace. And I did have a conversation at one point with them where I said, I'd like an electricity license to supply domestic household customers. And he said to me, well, you need three years audited accounts. And I said, but we're a startup. And he said, we need three years. So we went round and round in circles for quite some time on that. And eventually we ended up, we ended up having to post cash to the regulator to prove to them that we were serious about needing a license so you don't have to do that today but that was 20 years ago that's what you needed to do we then had to buy some power so Mm -hmm. it was it was actually really difficult to get people to sell us power and we first we we first had a conversation with some of the big players I think Empower was one of them and we went down the route of, okay, they've got some big wind farms. We'll buy some power from them. Oh, we I had a, a long conversation with them and it was all going fine. And we got to their credit committee and they said, that's fine, but you have to pay for it two years in advance. And we went, 
Okay, so the cash flow oh. requirement on that, if you wanted to grow, was significant. And we were yeah. saying, okay, no, no thanks. And eventually we did a road trip. Myself and the investor from Germany mm-hmm. did a road trip around the UK, going to see individual small renewable sites. Delabol was one, Gunhilly, sort of some, a, a few of them in the southwest. And persuading the individual landowners and, and owners of these sites that they should sell us their power. And they did, to their credit. Because it was mm-hmm. it was really difficult when you I think it's one of the most difficult things. I've heard this story in various different sectors where entrepreneurs try to get into the market. And one of the first things they find difficult is actually to be able to buy the product they want to sell. Right. That's um, interesting. Why would it why what is the difficulty there though? I, I imagine the generators or the suppliers would also want to be able to supply to many more people, right? They're always worried about credit. So they're mm-hmm. always worried about a new entrance, what their model is, are they going to make it? And it's complicated. Dealing with uh, somebody who's new, who hasn't, who's, who's challenging the market. Yeah. And also there's some competitive tension in there. So eventually you might actually compete with those guys. So, so they might decide that you're ah. not a great place to sell their product to. Right. That's interesting. But I know that Good Energy also works with the suppliers to support the community, to support the yeah. local community there. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you work with the the suppliers community to, to help them grow and to make sure that they are also benefiting from this partnership? Yeah, so there's, there's various ways we do that. But the, I mean, the, just to start that, First of all, one of the things that was very apparent, we developed our own renewable generation sites as well. So we know deeply that the people who live near them want to be deeply engaged and they want to know why are you building a, a wind farm or a solar farm in my in local front of my community. house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they want to feel that the, there is some benefit going back to the local community. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. We, we trialed, I mean, one of the things we trialed and we do have on most of our sites was a discounted electricity supply. Mm-hmm. So they they would be able to get really cheap electricity that came directly from the wind farm or for the solar farm. So that was one way. A couple of the sites we actually sold back to the community. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the original agreement that we would, once we built them, we would have the right to buy the power off them, but they would then own them long term. And actually having ownership within the local community is also really beneficial. So, And then finally, we do also work with any, any of our generators who are also customers of ours. So anybody who sells us their power, but we also supply them power when they need power. We do promotions with, so if they have a small business, if they, they've got a small holding or they have a local farm shop, we'll do some support about their mm-hmm. product and their 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 proposition as well to to our wider audience so we kind Mm -hmm. of try and bring value to all of our customers and all of our suppliers Mm -hmm. oh I love that so actually have you come across any situations where the the suppliers or the community where you built the farms on have been against you guys building you will always find a few. Yeah, I mean, there was yeah. one site that we didn't manage to get planning on in 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 the wind farm, which was a real shame because it was just up the road from the the site where we already own, which is one of the most popular sites in the UK. And we we didn't we didn't manage to convince the local community that it would be a benefit, which was a real shame because I think it truly could have been a benefit in that mm. site. And you will always find a couple of detractors in a local community, That's so that. Everybody will like them. But our experience is that once they're built, people are much more fearful 
pre them being built. Once they're built and they see see actually the impact is much less than they possibly thought it was, they get much more comfortable with it. They also see there are added benefits. So there's normally a local community fund that can support community buildings or local community support. And particularly in rural areas where they don't have great services, that can be a real benefit. Yeah, definitely. So are these mainly spread around the UK or also around Europe? So our, our sites are just in the UK. Just so we UK. focus in the UK. We we originally were part of a European group, but that it's difficult to get synergies at a European level. You can do it, but each country trades in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And so each power company has to have a separate sort of set of processes in terms of the way it operates so we decided having been part of the European group and actually that European group doesn't no longer exist today it went into insolvency we we decided just to focus in the UK right and you guys also with the good energies fuel mix I noticed that over 50 percent is is wind and then with the rest being biogeneration solar and, and hydro and I was just wondering is there a reason why you chose to focus more on wind So what we try and do is to make sure we can balance our total portfolio as closely as we can. So we we balance sort of nearly 90% of the time in real time, our portfolio. And part of that is because the majority of the energy use in the UK is actually in the winter. And that is when you get a significant amount of wind power is in the winter. So we try and match the two well together. So, So the portfolio, the way it's made up, it's very much um, defined by actually what the usage is and also that we have a lot of wind resource in the UK. We have the big, one of the biggest wind resources in Europe here in mm-hmm. the UK. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an obvious technology to be oh, using. I see. By wind resource, do you just mean a generator or? No, it's windy. Literally, the, oh, the oh, natural like resource the, the weather, the of natural, the weather. We the have, environment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have a lot of wind I... in the UK. Right, I see. Which part of the UK are you currently in? Personally, I, I'm in the and the southwest, and so so the majority of the wind hits the west coast of the mm. UK and Scotland. Um, right. Although you obviously have wind resource in the North Sea as well, so we have offshore wind resource in the North Sea too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, oh, this is really interesting. I didn't really think about how the the geographics of a place really affects the the portfolio yeah. mix. So, say, what about in Asia? Do you think? I'm assuming it would be more more towards solar. So different countries have different makeups. So, I mean, I think I, I know a reason about, about Vietnam, for example. So there's a lot of rooftop potential in Vietnam. Yeah. There's a lot of manufacturing in Vietnam. So rooftop solar works really well. Onshore wind isn't so great there, but offshore there is potential. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are parts of Asia where you've got large desert. If you've got significant, consistent wind, then then wind is actually a very good, can be a very good resource. But mm-hmm. solar is very mm-hmm. significant, particularly in China. Yeah. yeah. Um, wow. But there are parts of Russia as well. I was talking to somebody recently about the development of wind in Russia and parts of Russia have continual wind. Mm-hmm. So again, significant resources in those big open spaces yeah. where, where if you if you if you have flat spaces with very little mountains or buildings or trees to get in the way, then wind resource is quite significant. Mm. Well, that's really interesting because coming from Hong Kong, I'm not aware that there really is a a supplier that is 100% that offers 100% renewable energy. I don't really think that currently exists yet in Hong Kong. 
Yeah, I mean, um, Hong, Hong Kong, I'm guessing, I mean, I, I, I forgive me if I don't know enough about Hong Kong, but my understanding is it's relatively built up. So the, mm. the potential really for Hong Kong would be rooftop solar because yeah. you haven't, because I would say landmass is probably at, at a significant an premium. Issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, and I spoke to the government of Singapore as well. Again, something similar there. They they have they have a very small land capability, but they they potentially could import solar and wind from other countries around them. Oh, I see. Okay, so yeah, I was just wondering how cities like Hong Kong and Singapore and even Tokyo, like with mm-hmm. very small area, how they deal with this issue. Yeah. Um, so so you have to have interconnection at that point. So mm-hmm. I mean it's the same with London. I mean London London rooftop solar is a potential in London. You've also got heating potential from the geothermal systems in London. Mm. But the significant amount of wind power in the UK will come from Scotland uh, and the west ca- west coast of the UK. Yeah. yeah. So but so that we've got very big infrastructure. So we've got interconnectors, electrical interconnectors that will transport that power. And you'll you'll end up with something similar in Japan and in a lot of those Asian mm-hmm. cities. You'll you'll probably generate the power mm-hmm. outside and bring yeah. it in. I see. It's really interesting because I was just reading an article about how some people in the UK have their own solar panels on the roofs and they actually sell it back to the energy companies or they yes. they they yes. share it with the yeah. neighbors. So so we have about twenty one percent of that marketplace. Yeah, um, it was. It was kind of the area where we really built up our expertise because we saw an opportunity to look after individuals who wanted to generate their own power. Mm-hmm. So, so it just works literally just like a normal power station. So if you put a solar panel on your roof, you use all the power from that solar panel as mm-hmm. much as you can in your electrical needs within your home. I have one here at home. Anything excess. So I don't have any excess power because I, I have quite a small set of solar panels. But if you have excess power, you can then connect that back into the grid and sell it back into the grid. Oh, wow. And but the the owners of the solar panel will need to do it themselves. Like, is there is there an so we, app? somebody that's... like Good Energy would do that? OK, OK. So that's that's what that's one of the things yeah. we're working on at the moment is that. That's fascinating. Potential. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's that's what I think is going to be fascinating is that actually we're going to end up with a system where 20 years ago, when we entered the market, there were say 30 power generators, big centralized power generators. Today, there's over a million, but a lot of them are small households who generate their own power. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can see that this marketplace is going to kind of turn upside down almost. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that customers are going to become generators and that yeah. suddenly it's like a peer-to-peer approach to energy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. And it's it's very exciting that... Now so many households are sort of aware of the potential of it and also taking it on themselves to generate their own power. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in the future, it will be cheaper to yeah, do it that way yeah. than buy it. Wow. That's fascinating because I guess just coming from Hong Kong, it's it's not something that ever occurred to me that in the UK, this is already happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going back to when you first launched uh, Good Energy, since people weren't talking about climate change as much, and renewable energy was not anywhere as as talked about as currently. Was it hard to convince some of the consumers to switch from their original supplier to using good energy? So I think there was, you have to think of consumers as different, you have to differentiate. So there mm-hmm. were quite a few consumers who were interested in the environment, mm-hmm. who were technologically savvy, 
who, yeah. who were who wanted to come and join people like us and they were looking for an alternative but that was quite a small part of the market I think that was sort of between five percent and ten percent of the marketplace mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. We, we restricted ourselves immediately and then I guess it was about making sure people had heard of you that's the hardest thing because yeah. brand awareness is just really tough in a, in a mass market it's getting getting yourself heard so I think that was that was quite tough Talking to the other 90 percent. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the classic conversation is that the UK can't get all its power from renewables. And the the answer to that is technically it could. It's economically that it might choose not to. And I think this is the Mm. a lot of the time, a lot of very traditional sort of power sector people uh, just relied on oil and gas and coal for so long. They couldn't imagine a world which had renewables in it, which looked completely different to what they were used to and I think it's it's been the last 20 years has been about going on that journey to get to the place where now people really see that renewables are a real alternative opportunity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and would you say that the the price price point is achieving parity so it's actually not so different to using a conventional electricity supplier well, completely. I mean, we are approaching that today. I mean, it's still, if you want to buy genuinely green renewable electricity, it's still a little bit more expensive. But if you wanted to, now the comparison is new sites. If you were going to make a decision between building coal power station or a solar park, it's cheaper to build a solar park. Oh, I see. Okay. So so going forward now, we see that renewables are competitive with fossil fuels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And like, because I'm also looking into in, impact investing and I see a lot of people realizing that like renewable energy is is what they want to invest in instead because the cost yeah. is actually lowering. Yeah. So during the whole process of launching Good Energy, what was one of the biggest challenges you faced? So so we talked about the licensing. That was quite a big challenge. Yeah. I think the next one was when we lost our German investor, we then wanted to raise some more money and we went out to the city. And obviously we were an alternative story. We were basically saying we want to sell a green proposition in a commodity market at a premium. And nobody believed in us. So they all said, that's ridiculous. We don't want to invest in that. And I would say, actually, that conversation has been pretty similar for the last. It's only really changed in the last five years that you could have a different conversation to that with with traditional investors. But 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 we were listening to our customers and I used to sit next to the call center, which was really helpful. And they kept asking on the phone calls whether they could invest and so we actually put a crowdfund together before mm-hmm. crowdfunding really existed and funded the business based on the customer base. So the customers bought into the business and funded the business early on, which was transformatory. And that gave us the so so that gave us the freedom to we raised about six hundred thousand in two weeks. It was an amazing high actually yes. doing that. Wow. Um, it was, it was extraordinary. Incredible. And, and it just gave us the independence. That money gave us the independence. We bought a wind farm, we made sure that our systems were really robust, and we invested in marketing. And those three sort of investments really set us up to get moving and and start to grow the business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And since launching it, obviously, good energy has scaled so much. And it's, I was wondering, 
from from the get-go I know you, you had a very clear purpose to clean up the British energy system and I was reading your um, mission statement no your manifesto just now and it's that yeah. and basically it's about how everyone deserves a future on our home planet swimming in rivers walking in a forest or breathing clean air which I love as the company scales I think inevitably it's hard to ensure every single part of your operations and your decisions are are informed by this purpose so how how have you do you have any structures in place to make sure that this this purpose trickles down to like all levels i think i think there are various methods that you can use so so first of all obviously the purpose is a guiding light for at least all your marketing and all your campaigning you also then you can the next level of trickle down is you we implemented something called guiding principles Mm. which give you an outline of how you operate in each area of the business so whether that's procurement or whether that's operations whether that's health and safety or whether it's human resources it doesn't really matter it gives you it, it you basically take that the the kind of ambition and purpose and vision of the company and translate that not into rules but just in guidance so that people understand what that means in practice and then I think internal communications is incredibly important making sure that you you don't just have a marketing team who've gone off and developed your purpose and then gone off and talked to a bunch of people externally it's one of the things I think we've done much better over the last few years is actually have that internal conversation and made sure that we engage our teams internally so that you don't actually have to have as much governance looking after them because they know it already it becomes part of the culture of the business and I think that's so important I mean it's really interesting when people talk about cyber and protecting companies from cyber attacks one of the key things they say is obviously you've got a load of systems that can look after you but actually the the people angle is so important to make mm-hmm. sure that people don't click on things and open them and that whole cultural piece is as important in protecting you from a cyber point of view as it is the technical side. And it's the same, I think, in purpose, is that that cultural piece is so important. You have to try and embed it. And I think over the years, probably, I've probably learned from my mistakes of not necessarily hiring always to the culture mm-hmm. and and sometimes hiring technical capability. And, and it's difficult because you want to have the right people in who are really good at it. But if they don't believe in the culture and don't fit into the yeah. culture, what you find is things become really hard work. Mm, I see. So, I mean, for for entrepreneurs who are also like you scaling or like you were a decade ago, trying to scale the business and hiring the right people, is there any advice that you would give them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely hire on culture. Decide what your culture is and how it's successful and why it's successful. Consider your purpose and if people don't fit with that, then don't hire them. Mm, mm. Because all that will happen is that they might do it. I mean, unless you're prepared to let them do a good job for a couple of years and then decide, know that they have to move on. Because long term, what if you, if you don't do that, you change the culture of the business and you change the purpose of the business. So you, the, the people is a core part in terms of importance and I, I kind of see that I sit on the boards of various other organizations as well and when people hire to culture and get the culture right transformations happen much much faster and everything is so much easier because everybody is aligned with where you're trying to go right I do feel like the culture at good energy is really great because I have followed um you on social media and I watched some of the YouTube videos you've produced and yeah I mean obviously you are also a very active part 
of of the company and you have launched quite a few videos explaining what good energy is and the yeah. updates which i love and i think you've done it in such a simple accessible way that it's even for people who really have no technical understanding of renewable energy like me i find it very easy to relate to and you've yeah. also featured some of the team members and also different like updates and different projects and i think all those things add up to show that this is really a company that not only is good for the planet but really cares about its its employees and the team yeah which is, and, i think and, so important and i think i think that's taken a while to get there yeah. it's it, it, there's been some bumps in the road i can assure you along the way but it but it, i think yeah i think you're right i think it isn't just about the ceo or just it, it, the key point about purpose and culture is it can't just exist in a bubble it has to permeate through the whole organization mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i think i had a brilliant conversation so one of one of the junior colleagues gave me a call the other day and just wanted some tips on he's doing an interview and he started the conversation by saying how he felt by working at good energy he was a better person because everything he did in his life was therefore informed by what he'd learned since he was being there. And whether that was from the business itself or from our customers, actually, because we have fantastic customers as well. We have fantastic business customers who in their own rights have pioneered on sustainable clothing or have pioneered in sustainable food. And and so it's inspirational, not just from the inside, but from the outside as well. And that I have to say is possibly the biggest compliment I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you have also customers inspiring you back, like when it's a two-way thing, it makes it even more purposeful to work in in the company. And talking about purpose, I also want to talk a little bit about greenwashing because, well, for you, you obviously started with the desire to clean up the energy system, but there are some other companies who may not have this intention and they're really talking a lot about sustainability and renewables to you know, appeal to the current market, the consumers yeah. who are a lot more conscious. And, and I know there has been some greenwashing going on in the energy industry as well. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and whether you think that's quite common or whether you think players in this industry genuinely do want to make a difference? So I think it is very much driven about market share. I think there are some players who'd like to make a difference, but they're on balance so if you look at good energy we want to gain more customers and we want to make a difference Mm -hmm. and we try and keep those two in balance what I think I've seen in some of the other players is that the dialing up wanting to grow over actually the the impact they can have so trying to sell a cheaper product but unfortunately it then undermines it from a green point of view Mm -hmm. I think that's got out of balance and right I mean A couple of about five years ago, there was a loophole that opened up in the legislation. So the licensing previously forbade greenwashing as we see it today. And unfortunately, there was a change, which we missed as well. We were right in the middle of something else. And um, and that essentially let the greenwashers in. So there is a gray area in Mm. terms of what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Mm. We think consumers are not aware that they're buying a product that might be labeled green, but actually doesn't make any difference to the market as it is today. Mm-hmm. Whereas we go out and make sure that we're contracting with people who want to build new renewables as well as uh, run existing renewables. And I think that's the difference is that, that there's a lot more work that goes into doing that. There's a lot more effort than just going and buying a certificate off the shelf and saying, look, right. I'm green. Yeah. And that's that's what we've been trying to point out is that 
okay, so the legislation might allow this loophole, but genuinely they're not making any difference. Mm -hmm. If they want to genuinely make a difference, that's great. We love that. But let's be clear about what making a difference means and be really clear to the customer as well, because right now the legislation doesn't allow clarity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where it's important to... Um, educate the consumers because sometimes consumers yeah. I mean they have their day-to-day lives to manage they honestly yeah don't really have time to do such in-depth research into each possible potential supplier and so it is up to the players as well companies like good energy right to to educate them to show them that this is the difference that's what we've seen so there's companies like you switch has just come up with its yeah. green switching which is fantastic because what they've done is they've seen that the consumer as you said, hasn't had got time to go and do that research. So they've gone and done it for the consumer. They're an independent organization, which is fantastic. That's what we want. We want to see more independence coming in and saying, this is green, this isn't green. We've done mm. our work. We, we've, we've got the technical knowledge to be able to interrogate this marketplace and consumer, this is what we found. And, and we really welcome that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So actually, I was also wondering what, is there a trend in the renewables energy sector that really excites you like that's coming up over the next few years i think there's quite a few actually so i think i think on the innovation and research side i think materials and understanding new ways of storing energy whether mm. that's heat or power is going to be really important new types so i'm sort of talking to uh, a couple of organizations about new types of energy production so one is a flexible solar proposition. So right now, solar is kind of quite fixed. It's quite heavy. You need to have a roof that can bear the loads. Whereas there are new technologies, they're not as efficient, but they're flexible. Basically, you can stick them on top of roofs and you can stick it on you any stick roof. Them. Wow. Literally okay. stick them. It's a bit like, you know, the film on the front of your yeah. Of yeah. iPhone. It's a bit like that. Oh you, my God. You, it's a very That's amazing. I feel like, if that really becomes more widely available, it will make it accessible to a lot more people. Yeah, yeah. And But it, think about it. You could put it on stadiums. You could put yeah. it on any building. Amazing. But this is still currently in development. Like it's not... Well, it's out there. It's just the price is quite expensive. Right, so right. they're trying to find niche markets for it to bring mm-hmm. it out. And then obviously once you've got into niche markets, you can then make it mainstream. So that's yeah. what's exciting. Yeah. And then there's another technology I'm talking to, which is which is quite, it's, well, it's a bit more, it's not techie. It's just quite, it's quite heavy <laughs> engineering led, let's say. So right. it's basically dropping large weights down mines to generate electricity when we need some. So it's like a storage mechanism. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand exactly the concept of so, how that so works. It's like, it's like you remember you remember when um, when, when you did maybe your physics, or your maths yeah. early on. And basically, you, you put something, you wind something up, you pull something up onto a height. Yeah. And then you drop it. Yeah. And when you drop it, it generates electricity. Yeah. So it's the, the, electricity is generated from the drop. Yes, exactly. And, and what's the heavy, what are the heavy objects they plan to drop into the mines? Well, any, anything, it's a big block of concrete. But it's, but it's, what's fascinating about it is it is it using existing mine shafts. And one of the big challenges we're going to have is that we're going to, sometimes we're going to have too much power and sometimes we're not going to have enough. So what you want to do is to be able to use energy when we've got too much, maybe store it in these kind of lifted blocks. And mm. when we haven't got enough, you drop them. Mm. Oh, that's and it's creative. 
Yeah, and it's using existing infrastructure. So yeah. it's a bit more, it's a li- bit less techy that one, a bit more messy, but mm. but really interesting. Yeah, it is. And another uh, type of innovation I've been reading about is people are trying to innovate a lot in the area of food waste to solve the yeah. food waste issue. And some companies are using food waste as a source of fuel. Do you think there's potential to do this on a larger scale? Yeah, so so some of the power that we buy and some of the gas that we buy come from that technology already. So food oh, okay. waste, food waste that's biodigested and then gas is generated off it. There's about for the UK, there's potential for about 10% of our heating to come from that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So not insignificant, but obviously you've got to balance, you don't want to create food waste just to yes, create energy. Course. Yeah. It's yeah. got to be a genuine waste product. But there is I think there is potential. I mean, I think also you see in some developing countries that that technology is really interesting. So particularly when you've got rural villages who've got livestock, then using the waste from the livestock in a biodigester and generating gas that people can then cook on. Yeah. Um, is a technology that's been around for a while, but it's trying to, how do you roll that out on a regional basis? So you don't need to bring more fossil fuels into the system. But it also means that the food waste has to be clean in in itself right like it has to be sorted out so that there's no possible other like plastics or other ingredient in it that could pollute it yeah slightly I mean Mm. it's 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 a very I've been down there's a brilliant site down in Somerset which is a cheese manufacturer Mm -hmm. and they so one of the wastes that they have is that when they clean the cheese making machinery down the water gets contaminated by small microbes And you can't put that water into the rivers. You have to clean that water up. Mm. So what they do is they then put it into these massive digesters. They're like big stomachs, I guess. And they they ferment the water with this with this. It's, they're called washings. They ferment it and they generate gas off it. And then they oh create God. a bio waste plus clean water. So so it, it, quite often it can be a it yeah. doesn't actually have to be wasted food. It's just the cleaning up of the, the food manufacturing in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, it's actually so fascinating how different people are innovating like they're just using so many different ways to and using resources they currently have to innovate and that's very inspiring. Yeah. Um, and I I think that's I think that's what we're going to see more and more of yeah. is, is that introduction of well, what have we got already? What, what is what is I mean, food waste is a massive issue. I think CO2 emissions from food waste account for about eight percent of the world's CO2 emissions. So we, we've got to reduce food waste. But if whatever residual we get left over with, we must be using that practically to, mm-hmm. in something like generating energy. Because that's part of what it means, what a circular economy means is to yeah. use it and to put it back, use it back in the cycle, right? Yeah. Mm. I mean, apart from trends in the renewables energy sector, because I know you also, like in your podcast, you cover a lot of topics, other topics not related okay. to energy. Is there another trend related to sustainability that excites you? Uh, well, I think the trend about investment is really, really important. So personal investment. One of the things that's frustrated me for years is that to be able to genuinely have a green pension has been really tough. 
Mm. So and and pensions are difficult financial instruments because it's very difficult to. I mean, if you ever tried to contact your pension, and uh, if you have a pension, if you try and contact your pension company, they make it as difficult as possible. And if you want to then say, well, what have you invested in, and how green is it what that you invested? We wrote to something like twenty five pension companies and got answers for about four or five. So I, I'm hoping to see a set a whole range of green green financial instruments that individuals mm. can invest in right. because we i mean we don't even really have a green credit card so mm. you could have a you could have a credit card that either could give you benefits for buying green greener products mm-hmm. give you better points for for carbon or that could give a donation to green organizations around the world yeah. so i i just think we could do so much more with personal finance and money right. related to the green sector mhm mhm Yeah, that's and, really interesting. I never thought about that either. And we're beginning to yeah. see some of those come through. So I've seen a couple recently, and I think I think there's some really interesting ideas out there. So I'm just waiting for them because I shall be switching my pension when I can. Yes, yes, absolutely. So going forward, I know you actually just stepped down as CEO of Good yeah. Energy, and now you're the founder, founder and director. But I have noticed that you guys are also uh, working on electric vehicles and offering offering electric. Vehicle charging stations to different companies so they can provide that to their to their teams and employees. Going forward, are there other energy related projects that you'll be looking forward to? So I think we're looking at the whole of mobility as a service, so rather than just saying when when somebody buys an electric vehicle, there's a whole journey they go on. So whether First of all, they start with thinking about what well, if I buy an electric vehicle, where am I going to charge it? Mm. So one of the investments we made was we made an investment in something called ZapMap, which is mm. a mapping service for the UK. It gives live data and live routing on on electric charging points, so that it tries to take the whole point is to take away range anxiety. So that's a that's a decision uh. point when somebody buys a car. Then I think. Understanding what the charging capability is in people's homes, and thinking about there's two things on that. One, there's lots of great installers out there with great propositions. I think for good, it's about making sure we can recommend to consumers because sometimes people with buying electric car, driving at home, and not having a charge point at home. Yeah, uh, so, so oh. that they just have to plug it in with a. That's difficult. I mean, Yeah, and if it, it's if you just plug it in with a normal plug, I tell you, it takes a hugely long time to charge like that. I've done it before; it takes forever. So, yeah. So making sure that people have got decent charging points at home, and then those charging points can actually become energy power stations themselves, almost because you could supply power back from the car to the grid if there was a price that you could pay for it. So yeah. that is a it's called vehicle to grid. And it's it's going to be an interesting potential. We're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of people. We've done some research around it. It's not a proposition yet; doesn't add up yet, but it could be beginning to add up in the future. Mm-hmm. And then people are going to there's going to be companies who are going to have fleets of electric vehicles, right? So they want to be able to make sure that their drivers can charge those effectively. So making sure mm-hmm. that that journey is effective. And then destination charging. So we work with a lot of hotels and organisations where people drive to. Making sure that they've got charging points and a charging、mm. capability to be able to provide that service to their customers is really、mm-hmm. important too. Right, and would you also connect this type of electricity to your your normal portfolio? So it would be it would be supplied by 
the where the, possible the completely yes mm, I see, yeah. I, see. I mean so so the idea is that I mean at, at long term it's quite possible that you you'll be able to charge at home and then take your electricity bill with you wherever you go mm-hmm. so that I mean for example one of the classic things would be let's say you've got an electric car and you're going out for lunch right and you take your family to your your in-laws and um, when you get there you want to charge but your in-laws kind of I know my father can be a little bit like this. When you plug in, they get all kind of upset because you're using their electricity. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. so one of the possibilities is that you actually take your bill with you so that you get charged for your electricity, not them. Yeah. And that's, it's just, how do you make that all oh, work really simply? Um, right. And that's, oh, even that's, your father gets upset, even though oh, yes. you, set up, you oh, launch completely. good energy. Completely. He has his little meter in his house and he sees right. the number goes up as soon as I, I keep pointing out to him, I'm really not taking that much electricity, but he gets oh very gosh. upset about it. It's That's very funny. hilarious. Yes. So actually there's something I wanted to ask about the manifesto because you, you talked about how you want to allow the British people to get back in touch with nature, swimming in rivers and walking in a forest and everything. And I was just wondering, as a child, were you exposed to nature a lot like did you spend a lot of time in nature yourself and is that part of the reason why you you yeah it's interesting so I actually grew up in London for Mm. the first part of my childhood and then grew up in the countryside for the second half I mean what we were trying to describe with that is that we want to hand over a planet to the next generation that still exists that isn't polluted yes that that even if even if you live in a city you can still travel outside the city and go and walk in a forest and that forests still exist and that clean water still exists yes, and clean course. air exists. And I think particularly during the pandemic, people in cities were very concerned about the levels of pollution and the impact it could have on their health. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think part of that was about trying to make our vision personal and that you almost can sense it and feel it. Because I think when you just talk about 100% renewable electricity, it doesn't really connect with people. It doesn't, yeah. But, yeah. but when you talk about the implication of using 100% renewable electricity and what mm-hmm. impact it could have on the way we live. Mm-hmm. I think it, that's what's really important about yeah. it. Yeah, I love that you always try to think and empathize in the point of the consumer because even at the beginning, you were talking about how you wanted to focus less on the technological aspects of it and appeal to the consumers because that's the, I mean, that's the end goal in order to convince them to use yeah. it. If they don't understand or can't connect with it, then it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and the technology, don't get me wrong. I, I love technology. It, it excites yes. me. I want to know how it works, et cetera. But, but there is absolutely no point in having a bunch of technology. The number of times, I don't know whether you have this, I, 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 that, that, that you, you might buy a piece of tech. So I recently bought a bunch of thermostats and they're still in the box because the first stage I could download the app and do all that stuff <laughs> yeah. but actually installing them on my radiators is going to take at least an hour of re- me reading yeah. an instruction leaflet and I don't want to do that I really yeah. don't want to do that and most people don't I call it being a, a lazy and environmentalist oh so the, I know what the you mean. lazier so I believe in lazy environmentalism I don't think we should make it difficult for people to mm-hmm. become environmentalists yes I absolutely agree with you and talking about talking about what the thermostats actually my next question was, what was the best investment you made over the past year? Like for that is maybe good for yourself or for the planet? Okay, well, that's interesting. What, what have I done in the last year? 
Last year is a bit difficult because I've done, I mean, previously I've got a heat pump, I've got a solar panel, I've got electric vehicle. I mean, I think over the last five years, probably the most effective investment I've made is my, is buying an electric car. Right. Because running it is so much cheaper than, than mm. running a conventional car. Mm. Uh, also, I love it. I just love driving it. It's just such a brilliant experience. So that is what I've done recently. I think probably the most the most thing I've bought, the most environmental thing I bought in the last year is some trees. I've just planted trees. Oh, where? At home. Um, oh, at home. On my dr- okay, at okay, home okay. on my drive. And I'm hoping that those are going to, they're going to take a while. I mean, I think they, they'll, I might be alive when they mature, but you never know. But for me, that's an investment for the future. And I can watch those every day and get pleasure for them and know that yeah. they're going to be part of creating clean air for the future. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's so important to to be able to appreciate those small things as well. Like just like what you said, just watching the tree and really enjoying it and being in the moment as as CEO, well, ex-CEO now and the founder of such a big company. During the whole two decades of you running the company, did you have any rituals in place to keep yourself sane? Because you're also, I mean, you're not just an entrepreneur. You're also a mother and a wife. So yeah. I'm sure your life must be hectic throughout the day. Yeah, I think I've always, I, I walk quite a lot. So I walk, yeah. we have dogs at home. So I walk the dogs every morning and that, that is fantastic. And th- there's one thing about dogs, humans can be quite grumpy sometimes, but dogs generally are pretty cheerful. So that helps, <laughs> but but just taking exercise. Exercise for me, I always played a lot of sport as a young a woman at a university and I, I where I, I, don't, I don't necessarily play as much sport now, but I, I love I love riding, I love walking, I love running, I love swimming. So yeah, physical exercise is really, really important to me. Yeah. Okay. So now I want to move on to some of the up to some good questions I always ask my guests. And the first one is if I gave you one million US dollars, what would you do with it? And this can be related to good energy or it can be for anything you feel like you want to invest on? Aha! I tell you what I might do. So I might. So one of the things I've always believed in is that communication to, to the wider audience is so important. And one of the key communication channels that, that we have in our lives is TV. We watch a lot mm-hmm. of TV and TV doesn't normally portray sort of some of the climate stories. If, if climate tends to be done in documentaries, so David Attenborough's done the most amazing job mm-hmm. in terms of what he's done, but we don't see it in our drama. We don't see ah. it in some of those other areas. So I think I would make either a film or a TV series that is 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 a little humorous, probably sort of taking an element out of Great yeah. Green Questions. And, oh, I love uh, this. Take it mainstream. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so exciting. I do actually have a script. I have a script. Really? I have a brilliant youth audience program. Yeah, TV oh, program. Oh, wow. Exciting. Which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. okay. And secondly, can you tell me about an individual or business which you think has been up to some good lately? Oh, wow. Probably loads. So I think, so I was very lucky. I've just been judging the Sky Media Awards, which means that I looked at lots of different businesses with great ideas of how to engage consumers around sort of behavioral change on climate. Okay. And so there were a couple on there. I'm going to, I know I don't, I'm not very good at remembering names of things, but I downloaded one thing, Too Good To Go. I thought that was a great. Oh, business. too good to go. The waste, the food waste app. I yeah. think. Yeah, and in fact, wow! Look, I could go to my local bakery and pick up some bread. 
How cool is that? I love that. That is. I actually have been wanting wanting to use it. I haven't been, I haven't downloaded it yet, but. I tell you what, it's so easy to use. There's a couple of things I think are coming. There's something called Novus, I think, that's about mm-hmm. investing, personal mm-hmm. investment in green, which I'm looking forward to. I don't know what it looks like yet. So I'm quite excited to find out more about. Definitely. That's an area I'm very interested in as well. Yeah. So there's, there's a few. I mean, coming from Hong Kong, I think after I relocated to the UK, I've just been reading so much about businesses who are trying to solve climate climate issues and sustainability issues. And there's so much innovation going on. It really excites me. Yeah, no, I uh, agree. And it's, it's, it's great to kind of step out of your sector from some time to time, because that's what's been brilliant about doing Great Green Questions is because I, I'm probably eternally curious. I love finding out about things and being able to host other experts and being able to ask them questions yeah. about their areas. So fascinating. And yeah, yeah it, it just brings that wealth of knowledge that I kind of just want to keep sharing with the wider yeah. world. Yes, please do. Please keep keep creating amazing content on Great Green Questions. And after stepping down as CEO, are you going to focus more on more personal projects like your podcast or... Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a mixture of the two. So I do do some non-exec positions. So I mm. sit on the board. I'm a board member of the Crown Estate, and they're going through a massive transformation on zero carbon, which is really exciting. So wow. I'm kind of hoping to work with companies. I love working with companies. I do a bit of mentoring from entrepreneurs as well, clean tech, climate tech, and climate entrepreneurs. Mm. So I love doing that. The personal stuff, yeah, really interested in film and TV, as I said, and yeah. maybe doing a little bit. So, so a few of everything, really. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I love, I love working with business people because I think they are immensely creative and huge problem solving. So, trying to figure out answers to things in new marketplaces is just so exciting. Hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. And lastly, what do you feel like doing when you're up to no good? <laughs> what do I feel like doing when I'm up to no good? So probably I have I have probably two. I, I do love skiing. Skiing is probably my biggest guilty pleasure. It's yeah. one of the things. It's probably the only thing I've missed during lockdown. Right. Um, I love sitting on top of a mountain and looking at the amazing landscapes that there are on the top of mountains. Yeah. And and some of them sometimes you can do it relatively greenly, but it's not that green. Is it um, not? Well, it depends, really. I mean, it, it there are some of the regions where actually they power the whole of the the ski oh, um, the resorts by by renewable power. And there's some of those mountains where they do that very well, particularly in Austria. But there are some environmental impacts, obviously, of skiing on, on the landscape, particularly. And uh, anywhere that you've got a lot of people and you have to travel to as well. I'm kind of hoping that we'll be able to all get an electric train from wherever we are and end up in the Alps at some point. That would be really nice. Yeah. Uh, and then probably, what else do I like? I don't know, donuts. I don't know whether you can have environmentally friendly donuts. I guess you well, could. Well, plant-based, vegan donuts, I yeah. guess, right? Yeah, maybe. maybe <laughs> so. That's, 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 as soon as you said guilty pleasure, my brain went to donuts, but that's probably I nothing love to do with the too. environment. <laughs> What's your favorite flavor? It just has to be straight raspberry. I tried a load raspberry? the other day. Like, so the jam-filled ones. The jam-filled ones. They're just the best. They still are. I don't think you can get any better than that. Yeah. And what's your favorite donut brand? Oh, good question. I actually don't like many of the brands. I like kind of like the rural bakeries or ba- as uh, artesian bakeries where they make oh, them themselves, okay, okay. particularly when they're hot, hot out of the oven and so well toasted on the outside. Oh, that that makes me salivate right now. <laughs> 
Okay. I'm glad you also, apart from doing so much for the environment, you'll give yourself time to have me time and do whatever you enjoy. That's really important. Thank you so much for being here today. And I just want to take a moment to appreciate and acknowledge all of your work because you've done so much for the environment and you've launched Good Energy in 1999, which is, I'm sure it was so much harder to launch during that time because people were nowhere near as as conscious about renewables. And I'm sure it has taken a lot of work and a lot of convincing, but it's, it's amazing to see where you are now. And I'm excited to see all the projects that will be in store as well. And thank you for sharing all your knowledge and being so humble because like you have been interviewed by so many people and I've watched so many of your videos on YouTube and I was a little nervous at first, but I genuinely really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a lot. I mean, I'm not familiar with renewable energy, but you made it very accessible and easy to understand. So thank you so much. It well, was... thank you. Thank you. Well, that's lovely to hear because that's that's what I try to aim to Yeah, do. yeah. Thank you. And I hope we'll be able to meet in person in the future. Yes, that'd be nice. Um, and I'm excited to listen to more of your, your podcast content as well. Okay, well, we'll be, we, we, we're, we're thinking about a second series now. So we're, we're waiting, we're waiting on the funding for it. But once we've got the funding, we'll give you a heads up. Yeah, thank you, Juliet. Claudia, thank you so much. It's been thank lovely you. talking to you. Thank you again for tuning in to Up To Some Good. I'm really happy that you're on this journey with me to learn about individuals and organizations who are giving back to our planet and our society. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on Apple. I also post content updates on our Instagram at up to underscore some good. And if there is a person in your life who you think will benefit from this episode, please share it with them. I always feel that sharing forms of inspiration and knowledge is a way of sending love, especially during COVID when it's difficult to see your loved ones in person. I think this is a really good way to connect and share inspiration. Also, if there is an inspiring individual who you think should be featured on Up To Some Good, please feel free to DM me on Instagram or send me an email via uptosomegood.podcast at gmail.com. I'd love to feature their story. In the meantime, stay healthy, do some good, and see you next time. Thank you.